We should be ready every day for a world that says, open that book up right now, tell me what it says. If you're showing up every day to that trailer up on the hill, tell me why in the world you do that. The days of, well, you know, it's the Bible. Those are gone. And I think God is purifying His church today. And so what's going to happen is, as the world continues to get even more worldly, as Christianity, America, gets more and more worldly, God is calling His church and whittling it down to those few who can actually tell the world what they believe. Can you? It doesn't mean there has to be smart Christians. It just means that we have to be people of the word. And that is what God demands of us. It's what he, it's what he demanded of um, the earliest Christians. And it's what he demands of us today. And so on that note, as is the habit, or my habit, before we preach... The gospel, I actually articulate and define the gospel most Sundays, and I'm going to do it this morning. This is what the gospel is, is I've had to define it. I'm quoting Herman Bavink, and this is what is a Dutch theologian. He said this, But Christ has accomplished everything. He bore for us the guilt and punishment of sin, placed himself under the law to secure eternal life for us, and then rose from the grave to communicate himself to us in all his fullness for both our righteousness and sanctification. The holiness that must completely become ours, therefore, fully awaits us in Christ. Every blessing, every gift, every privilege that we have that God can give is given to his church in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our all in all. And we better remember that this morning because we're going to look and Peter has been given unbelievable things. I mean, this, we're, before we read this, I just want us to keep in mind, Peter is the one, he says, upon you, Peter, upon you, Petros, I will build my church. He's making Peter the head of the Jerusalem church. He has redeemed Peter. He's brought him back to the fold and said, feed my lambs. He has let Peter essentially be the head of the disciples. He's given him all these things. He showed him his glory in the Mount Transfiguration. He's done all these things and Peter's still worried about, well, I didn't get what he got. And we do that all the time. But we need to know that Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. We're in our very last passage in John this morning. After today, we'll have gone through the entire book of John. And then next week, we're going to go in the book of Genesis. So if you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 20 through 25. Just go to the last passage in John. And when you find it, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Six verses. Last six verses in the book of John. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, meaning John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but rather, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple, John, who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, your son Jesus has done so many things that John says they're countless. They're innumerable. Father, we know that you are working even now in Christ. We know that Christ, the Son of God, is upholding the universe by the word of his power even now. Christ is in us even now. Christ has breathed his spirit in us even now. The works of Christ are innumerable, Father, and because of the great work of Christ upon the cross, I pray that you may give us hearts that long for Jesus, that he may become our treasure, and that him being infinitely valuable, Father, with Christ having infinite worth, that we may look upon the world and know that we don't need anything else. There is nothing else that it could give us. We want for nothing. And that Jesus might be our all in all this morning. Show us that in John chapter 21. So that we don't worry about all that you've given others. We're just glad with what we got. And all these things we ask in your precious son's name. Amen. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. This is what I want to take away. In the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ will determine who He uses and how He uses them according to His gracious, sovereign will. That's my point. That's what I gathered. In the kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus Christ will determine who He uses and how He uses them according to His gracious, sovereign will. The funny thing about this passage is you can still pick up on the rivalry between Peter and John. Jesus, if you don't recall from last week, Jesus has finished telling Peter that he will die a death where people will carry him where he doesn't want to go, foreshadowing the gruesome death that Peter will die. And then Peter says, what about him? It's it's really petty. It's really childish. And Jesus knows that. Peter's like, well, why do I have to die the horrible death? What about John? Please tell me that John's going to die a horrible death too. You laugh, but we like to be comforted by other people getting what we got. And that's, the, that's the, the human principle at stake here. And Jesus says, if it's my will that he lives longer than you, what's that to you? In other words, I just redeemed you from death and condemnation, Peter. And you're going to start worrying about what other people get? I set your feet upon the rock. I wiped your sins away. I just breathed my life into you and gave you eternal life. And you're going to worry about John's life. Here's an important lesson for us to remember. If salvation is by grace alone, then everything else we receive afterward is also by grace alone. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. Therefore, whatever we do receive, Peter, us, is enough. Jesus Christ is Lord of His church and He has absolute authority to decide everything in it. Now, we know from our biblical canon and from church history that John is the last disciple to die. 
Jesus has a special assignment for John, including writing the book of John. We know that John outlives Peter, really, in some ways, just by looking at the biblical canon. I just put these up. By the way, these are not concrete. You'll see different ones, but this is basically the gist of it. First and second Peter are written in the mid-A.D. 60s. The book of John is written in the 80s. First, second, third John are early 90s. Most scholars believe that John could potentially have been reading, writing the book of Revelation by the almost 100 A.D. John is the last. When he's hanging out at Patmos writing Revelation, he said, I'm it, as far as the disciples are concerned. John actually, and I don't know if most people knew this, but the book of Mark, our small group just went through Mark. Peter helps Mark to write the gospel of Mark. I don't know if anybody knew that. Um, a lot of people believe that's how Mark was privy to so many things that he wrote is because he and Mark, uh, he and Peter were so close. There is a gospel of Peter, but that's what's called a Gnostic gospel. That is not authoritative, and we do not find that in the original spirit-inspired canon. John actually makes reference to himself in verse 24. This is the disciple, John. John, by the way, I think we've said this before, John doesn't ever reference himself as John. It's either the beloved disciple uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. That's John's really polite, slightly vague way of saying, you can take it to the bank that what I'm writing happened. Just spit on Scott, sorry about that. God is calling John and Peter to two different ministries. He's calling Peter to lead the Jerusalem church, and he's calling John to write several books of the Bible that he's not calling Peter to. What God is saying, what, what Jesus is saying is, I will decide who does what in my church, and I will even appoint your own deaths. Let's just read verses 20 through 22. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus is like, stop worrying about what I do and how I appoint others in my kingdom. Your job is to seek me without your heart, soul, and mind. And you can almost hear Peter's jealousy. He's like, Lord, what about him? In other words, does he die a gruesome death? Is he going to be a martyr like me? Is he going to be led by the hand like I am? Please tell me he is. One thing to remember for us is when God brings suffering upon us, I don't know if I wrote that down or not, our temptation is to compare our sufferings with others, but Jesus asks us simply to follow him. I think I've mentioned this before, but the third year of my Master of Divinity at Southern Seminary, I finally got my first preaching job. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was in Chaplin, Kentucky. My wife knows it well. She loved Chaplin a lot. We had a parsonage. Had an upstairs attic. They sold it as a two-story. That was kind of a half-lie. Um, it was a real country church. When I say this place was country, it made, I think I've said this before, it made Oxford look like New York City, I'm going to tell you. Um, it had, a, it had a, a post office. The post office closed while we were there. Um, and it had a gas station that closed while we were there. 
it was a literally a, uh, a one-light town. It had a flashing um, yellow light that was in front of our parsonage. Um, one, I think I even told you this one time. Maybe I haven't. And if I haven't, it's worth telling. One night, Kelly and I stayed up late to watch a movie, and then I came in and had an elders meeting, and uh, some guy made a comment. He goes, he goes, man, I was up late last night. Well, not nearly as late as Abby was, but I, I was up late. I was like... How do you know I was up like, oh, we drove by and saw your light in your house. You, you went to bed around 1030? Like, I did. How did you know that? He's like, Abby, you live on the only street in town. We can see what you're doing. I was like, apparently so. This, not, 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 that, not that having an older church is bad, but the average age was over 65. It was an hour away. My wife got cancer while we were there. We were having trouble in our marriage. And then I would come to class in Louisville, and then I'd have guys like me, and they were wearing like skinny jeans, and uh, they had really nice hair, and they went to really nice churches, and they had really fancy jobs, and they got to preach to people that actually wanted to hear the gospel, and the whole time I'm like, God, what about them? Where's their country church? God, what about them? Where's their suffering? Where's their wife getting cancer? Where's their marriage at? Where where are they making that hour-long drive like I am? Why don't their lives look like mine? And we all do it. Suffering can produce incredible godliness and faith. Suffering can also reveal incredible sinfulness. Suffering in my life, in Avi's life, has caused me in certain seasons to draw closer to God than I've ever been. And suffering has also shown me how wretched I am. Raise your hand if you've ever... Just, just show hands. I always like doing this. Last week I asked if y'all... Were, was it Robert who the only one that wanted to know his own death? I think it was. We'll, we'll see if he raised his hand on this one. Raise your hand. <laughs> this tells you about Robert, man. He wants to know what's coming. Raise your hand if you've ever been going through a hard season in your life and you saw somebody else whose life looked like roses and you thought to, your, you thought to yourself, that person doesn't know what real life is. Raise your hand. I want you to think real quick. What was it inside that little ticker of yours that that said that? What was it in that festering sinful heart that went, I don't like that person. There's something inside of us that wants to believe that everyone should suffer the same or at least in the same amount. And scripture never says that. That's actually a principle we find in Hinduism called karma. If you are anywhere but hell right now, you are blessed beyond what you deserve, friends. So here's a really important fact. It is very, please listen to what I'm saying. It is very possible for a Christian to suffer less than another Christian and yet still live a life as full, as godly, as mature, as holy, and as Christ-centered as the other guy. And here's my point. God teaches the same things to different people in different ways. And your, and your reaction to that is either one of two things. Amen to that. Or it's, I don't like that. It depends on how much you think you've suffered in this life. Our suffering is not a chance to see others 
ourselves as holier or as better Christians than those who haven't suffered, our suffering is a chance to see God's glory in a whole new way, and that's Christ's point to Peter. You're going to suffer for my glory, Peter. You're going to see my glory, Peter. You're going to hold on to me, Peter. You're going to see grace in a whole new way, Peter. Stop asking about John, Peter. Some people in this room right now might die at a ripe old age. And some of us won't. Some of us might live to be 90. And some of us might die at 40. And whatever we get is fair. We are not promised a happy ending in this life, but, but the Christian mind says, I don't care. This isn't my glory. This isn't my gift. This isn't my reward. That comes next. So whatever I am going to receive in this life, bring it on because it will then show me God's glory even more and it will prepare my soul for the glory to come. Unfortunately, what we do is we size ourselves up against others in the hopes that their suffering is at least the same as ours. Well, there's a few things wrong with that. One, we will never... Oh, man, I only got the third on there. We will never fully know the suffering in someone else's life. That's just common sense. We are not called to compare our own sufferings to those of others. We're called to count our sufferings as all joy, James says, and we're called to submit to the sovereign good will of God in all things. So the moral of this passage is not for us to go, please give me a life like John. Please give me a life like John. Please leave me alone. I don't want to do Peter. No. The point is, both Peter and John should have said, Lord, let thy will be done. In our last passage, Jesus told Peter, your suffering is for my glory, Peter. So Peter's response in this text should have been, I'm fine with whatever you give me, Lord, because you're my treasure, and let John's life glorify you as much as mine. If God gives you cancer and not someone else, if God gives you a great job and he doesn't give it to the other person, if God gives you family problems that he doesn't give your friend, our flesh will cry out, what about them? But Jesus says, if it's my will that you suffer, what is that to you? It is an honor to suffer for Jesus, to follow him and to make known his strength through our weaknesses. I was thinking this week, what should Peter's response, what should it have been? And I think I came, I was reminded of the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That don't make no sense, do it? Imagine if you don't know Jesus. What? That, that, that sentence right there doesn't even make a lick of sense. Unless you follow a Savior who died. And then you say, oh... Glories found in suffering. May God make Haynes Creek the weakest church you've ever seen. May God make us the neediest, lowliest, God-hungriest, sufferingest people in Oxford. Hey, who's the, what's that church over there? I don't know. They, they a bunch of trailers over there. There's some weak people over there. 
Yes, we are. We're weak. That God may be strong. I don't want anyone looking up to me other than to see Christ in me. I don't want anyone bragging about, oh, we got, they got, that's that church with all those manly men. I want him going, oh, those are people with all the really big muscles, but, but man, they really don't like talking about themselves and they really want to serve everybody. Unless you're Franklin, you can have muscles, that's fine. If God wants me to die early, what is that to me? If God wants me to go through hell on earth, what is that to me? If God wants to expose my sin in my hypocrisy before the world, what is that to me? May his name be magnified. I'm going to quote John Piper here. It's a fantastic quote. Suffering clearly is designed by God not only as a way to wean Christians off of self and onto grace, but also as a way to spotlight that grace and make it shine. Suffering is a privilege. So here's the question. Why do bad things happen to good people? We ask it all the time. Well, here's your two answers. Christians can answer it. Well, that only happened once, and Jesus volunteered. There are no good people other than Him. Number two, God brings about suffering in our lives for our good and His glory. If you want to delve in even deeper than that, if you're looking for an answer to your suffering that goes beyond that, you're looking too far. Because Christ says, my glory should be enough. Why did I have such a crummy family? Why did I get sick all that time? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to carry this? Jesus says that I might be all in all. The solution to our sufferings isn't found in looking over the fence. It's found in looking to Jesus and Him crucified and glorified. Something else to consider. When God's grace is sufficient, we care less about what others get and more about what God has given us. You know what God did give Peter? He was the rock upon which Jesus built his church. He was the leader of the Jerusalem church. He gave the sermon at Pentecost. He supplied Mark with his gospel. He wrote two epistles. But if he's not careful, Peter can forget all of that and just care about something as petty as, can John please die like I do? It's not wise to count our sufferings against the sufferings of another in light of the cross. Because when we start to compare our sufferings, we make light of the sufferings of Jesus. Here's an idea. Compared with the wrath of God upon the cross that Jesus endured, our suffering on this earth is but a drop in the bucket, friends. Compared with the wrath of God that Jesus drank, all of our earthly suffering is virtually the same. I want to confess this morning that when Satan prowls around like a roaring lion and seeks to devour Abitad in his sin, um, there, there's one kind of suffering that I know that he can play on me that I'm, I'm very weak at. And that's my being away from my family. My family's in Kentucky. And I miss them a lot. And... I'll see families who spend a lot of time with their families. And I'll see um, parents who get their kids get to hang out with their grandkids. And I'll go, what about them? 
Why are they like that? Why can't they be called to another state? Why can't they go and leave for the gospel? Why can't you give them some calling and go like, you know, the Cornets and go to Columbia? And what I should say is, well, that's fine. Lord, you've set my feet upon the rock and you're enough. I have all I need. But what my flesh says is, I want them to be like me. And Jesus says, if it's my will for you to be in Georgia and your family to be in Kentucky, what is that to you? Why does your family need to look like other families? If it's my will for your life, Avi, why do you care about looking like other people. And every day, every single week, I have to rest in the fact that my suffering, and woe is me, it's not anything compared to the sufferings of Christ. My suffering for God's glory, I, I am called here to make His name great in Covington and Oxford, Georgia, and that His suffering is for my, His sufferings on the cross are for my good, and my sufferings in this earth are for His glory. That his love and his joy and his peace and his righteousness and his salvation would be enough. And my suffering doesn't make me any better or any holier than any of you who have family in Georgia. It just gives me a fresh opportunity to be weak for the gospel. To lean on God's grace. And to see his glory shine in a brand new way in my life. This passage reminds me a lot of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew 20. Do y'all remember that? The guy gives, guys work all day and he gives them a denarius and the guys pop in at the very end of the day and work an hour and he gives them a denarius and they're like, what about that guy? Where's my money at? Don't give him that money. And what does he say? What business is that of yours? I can do what I want with what's mine. And he does the very same thing every time we complain about his life isn't like mine. I want my life and my family to look like theirs. And Jesus says, you should be thankful for every scrap and morsel of mercy you receive because you deserve nothing. Peter deserved nothing. John deserved nothing. Abby deserved nothing. And I guarantee you, by the time that Peter goes to the cross upside down, he's not wondering what John's doing. He's thankful for the opportunity to die for the name of Christ. That's our calling. Stay in your lane is what my dad used to say. Every time I wanted something, kid brought, showed up with brand new Jordans when I was in 8th grade. I want those Jordans. You can't have them, Bobby. Why not? Because we can't afford them. He can. Well, I'm not them. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. It's the same principle now. We are grown men and women still looking over and wanting Jordans. And God said, my grace is enough. Haven't I given you enough? Hasn't my son given you enough? If you've been looking over the fence this morning, asking God quietly in your, out, in your heart, what about them? Come back to Jesus and say, let thy will be done. Humble yourself before the sovereignty of our Lord and trust in His sufferings and not your own. Let's pray. Eternal, unchanging, sovereign Lord. Worthy of all our praise. 
You are mighty and big and strong. We are small and weak and puny. You are worthy. We are unworthy. You are magnificent. We're dirty. You are unblemished. And we are stained with guilt. Father, Jesus is the best deal we're ever going to get. Father, let His love, let His kindness, let His grace, let His calling be enough in our lives. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen.